I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10-3. It's been a little over one year since billionaires Barry and Honey Sherman were found dead in their North Toronto mansion. The founder of pharmaceutical company Apotex and his wife were discovered on December 15, 2017, in what was initially described as a murder-suicide before being determined to be a grisly double slaying. And a year later, it's still unsolved. We look back at the killings, what may have stalled the investigation, and where police are at in their effort to catch those responsible. We'll get to our conversation in just a second. I'm guessing a lot of you listening are regular subscribers to the show, and thanks for that. But if you're not and you found us online, why not take a second to hop over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app and tap that subscribe icon. That way, every episode is waiting for you in your feed. Joe Warmington is a columnist for the Toronto Sun who's been covering this case from the outset. So, Joe, before we dive into the investigation and where things may have stalled, can you refresh for listeners just how this story broke? It broke uh, like no other murder I've seen. I mean, it was all over the place within five seconds that we all knew that Barry Sherman had been murdered and his wife, Honey. And, um, yeah, this was on the radio. It was all over the social media, you know, Twitter, et cetera, phone calls. Usually you go to a scene and... You don't really know for sure, but this was different. We knew instantly. So we're talking about Barry and Honey Sherman, well-known Toronto couple, well-to-do Toronto couple. Barry, the founder of Apotex, a big pharmaceutical company, found dead in their homes. What did police think had happened? Well, they were talking about it as a murder-suicide. And it wasn't, you know, this came a little later with me, but Right from the outset, if you listen to the radio, and I went to the scene, and, you know, it, it was a very interesting scene because they had a little bit of yellow tape around the house. People were coming up and down that old Colony Road, uh, you know, lane, uh, media everywhere. And it, it didn't look like they were worried about evidence or, you know, any bad guys out there, that kind of thing. And then they went as far as to say the police came out and said that they're not looking for any suspects. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. This is like a suicide pact, if you will. Um, and then later in the evening, um, not too much later, just an hour or two later, I was writing my column at nearby McDonald's. You know, we were going to go with sources. It was myself and my colleagues had talked to, we all talked to everybody we know. And we had talked to a person that had been in there and seen the bodies and all of that. And they said that they were executed, and that was going to be our headline on the front of the paper. You as an editor, you know, you realize, like, that's pretty big. And I, I thought that if we're going to do that, maybe we better check uh, with the police just to be sure. So I made the call, and I, I emailed uh, a source in the police. And I'm not talking to a junior person here. So this is what we're going to go with. And then the person called me and said that don't go with that because it's a murder-suicide. Then the, my phone rang. It was Mr. Godfrey, who's our boss, who happens to be best friends with uh, with the Shermans. In fact, uh, was, was supposed to have lunch with them the following week and um, had been with them two nights before that. I had to tell him that it was a murder-suicide. He wasn't happy to hear that. Uh, he didn't believe that. He knew the, this couple. I didn't believe it either. Uh, but that's what the what the police were saying. We went with that story. And, of course, it took 42 days for them to reverse it. But it was only a few days later at that funeral, maybe one or two days later, 
that was one of the worst experiences of my life. In addition to being sad about, you know, Barry and Honey, I'm not saying I knew them, but I certainly knew who they were. And I covered them for, you know, at different events over my career here, which is a long time. And, um, and so to have to face his kids and the, the Prime Minister, Premier Wynne, Prime Minister Trudeau, Mayor John Tory, all of them were there. And it was a pall. You know, if you can imagine a funeral being around, it's already really sad. It was even worse because we, I had suggested that it was a murder-suicide. And by the way, it was picked up by everybody and confirmed by everybody with their own police sources. So the police can't wiggle out of this and say that, you know, that it was my mess up. It was their mess up. Yeah, and I imagine that the fact that Barry and Honey were found dead in their homes, compounded with the fact that police initially said that it was a murder-suicide, must have caused a lot of shock, both in the community and especially in the family. Well, they went out and hired Brian Greenspan, who's one of the top lawyers, as you know, in the country and certainly in Toronto. And the first thing he did was ask for a second autopsy, and he got... He made that happen. Dr. David Chason, who's a very highly regarded pathologist, and uh, he did a second autopsy. That was the beginning of the unraveling of it. Now, I don't know what's true. I have an open mind. Uh, I don't know what what to make of it because I don't know whether all those police in the beginning are, are, you know, I don't think they're dumb. You know, they they had a reason to think it was a murder-suicide. But at the same time, they haven't been able to back that up with anything. And then they, 42 days later, announced that they actually agreed with the family and their private investigation team, which was led by Tommy Clad, who's a detective that I knew 25 years ago. Uh, he's been retired for at least 20 years. But, uh, you know, he's a good detective. And he, he and his team have said right from the beginning that this was a double murder. And then I guess they were able, with the pathology, uh, convince the Toronto Police uh, to go along with that because they reverse their decision and you don't see that every day i'll tell you that so you have a case where you have a prominent couple who are found dead in their homes and the police are saying it's one thing but the family doesn't think that that's actually what happened and so they go out and they want to see a new autopsy done and they hire private investigators have you ever seen in your career of covering crime a case where the family has started up their own parallel investigation into what happened? Never seen it before in my whole life. Any of this. I, mean, I covered, just in the last year, I covered three or four domestics of husband and wife in the house. Not as rich, but, you know, even semi-prominent, or, you know, prominent in the Indian community, things like that. Those were all ruled murder-suicides. Um, and, you know, the police stuck with that. I've never seen this. This is uh, out-of-the-box kind of deal. And, and I've covered a lot of homicides. Even this year, I think I've been involved with 50 of them as a writer. So we've had 95 here in Toronto. So uh, you don't need to go very long without being involved in one. And the one thing I've learned about them is they're all different. Uh, usually the police are in charge. I've never seen anything like this. So we're at a little over a year later. The police haven't given an official update to the investigation in quite some time. Where are we at? with the murder of Barry and Honey Sherman. I'll break a little news for you. Um, they're, they're, they're working on some things. And, um, you know, I, I think you're going to see an arrest. And I'm not afraid to tell you that. Most people think you're never going to solve this. I don't agree. I think 
in 2019, you'll be having me back on here and we'll be talking about the arrest. There's four or five suspects, some of whom you may know, some who you may not know. I'm not going to say who they are, but because I don't know, I'm not involved with the investigation. But, you know, if indeed this was a murder, and I don't think the Toronto police would be working as hard as they are, it was the largest investigation in terms of the forensics that we've ever seen in Toronto. If it did indeed happen, you'll see an arrest in 2019. Now, what about motive in this case? Have people talked about why Barry and Honey could have been targeted? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things. There's a lot of business stuff, you know, and there's uh, Apotex is the company. Uh, it's kind of like a Robin Hood. Steals from, uh, you know, I say that in quotation marks, uh, from the rich, you know, and gives to the poor, if you will. And I'm talking about the generic drugs. So, you know, you you spend $100 million developing a medicine and they, they, they take it, take the formula and create something and make it uh, generic and sell it back to, so we can afford to use it. Um, well, it's good and, you know, for us, the people that are using it, it's not so good for the people that invest in their capital and they want to make a profit. And so that's the dilemma. That was the guy's, that's why he was in court every five minutes, <clears throat> hundreds of lawsuits, a whole string of lawyers. So somewhere there, you know, other people are pretty good players too. What do you think about this case has proven so challenging or troubling for investigators? I think that we've kind of covered the reasons, um, you know, the mess up in the beginning, uh, the reversal, if you want to call it that, and then the parallel probe, which is, you know, a competing probe. It's not a, it's not a benign thing. They don't get along. It's like two teams fighting over turf. And one of them is the police. <clears throat> the police decide. I mean, if you were the Catroni family and there's a big murder in the mob hit and you say, uh, you know, I've hired my own team and I want to help the police investigate this mob murder, they're going to tell you to go to hell. Uh, but they're not doing that here because this is a very prominent family of given, you know, tens of millions and even a hundred million in charity, raised even more than that. Their names on all kinds of stuff around Toronto. They're really good people, really. Um, complicated, tough, and all those things. But when it came to philanthropy, uh, I don't know anybody, anybody, anywhere as generous as the Shermans. Now, as we've touched on already, Barry and Honey Sherman, um, wealthy family in Toronto. Uh, Barry's the founder of Apotex, which makes generic pharmaceutical drugs. They're very involved uh, with charitable efforts in the Toronto community. Does that speak to why this case is so shocking? and speak to what the couple represents? It's one of the reasons. I think the the idea that, the, the, you know, the guy, they're worth like $5 billion. So they're among the richest people in Canada. Very, very well known. I, I don't know whether they were household names or not. I mean, we knew who they were because, you know, I covered events that they were at and, I, you know, that kind of thing. But very quickly, people, I think people knew Apotex, and I think they've seen the, you know, their pictures and things like that. So, so it was the, the, that kind of thing. But I think the other thing is just the mystery of it. You know, it's just so weird. It's like a TV show, but it's real. It's a real whodunit. Now, one year later, with no arrests 
as of yet in this investigation, uh, the possibility of an arrest coming in 2019. What is the feeling from the family and the community in general about where the investigation is at? They're furious. I mean, they put up a $10 million reward. They've tried to get, you know, they say a spark under the uh, police uh, to to do more. Just uh, the Toronto Star competitions reported today that the guy that's been running Apotex, a guy named Jack Kay, was relieved of his duties by the son, Jonathan Sherman. And so what does that mean? Does that mean they're going to sell Apotex? Because it's privately run, privately owned. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that in everything that happens in this day, you wonder, well, is that related to this? I mean, cause there are, there's killer, killer or killers out there. And if it was a TV show, you would not be able to rule anybody out. Yeah. And I imagine that when you're talking about a person who's so prominent in the community being killed in this fashion, you may have to cast a wide net if you're looking for potentially a financial motive to a crime like this. It's very personal, though, the way the murders happened, you know, like they were they were strangled and they were staged to look like either they were meant to be found that way or maybe it was a, a mur- you know, murder suicide. I don't know if that's how it was staged or not. That's what they thought. Um, you don't see that very often. If it was a hitman, you'd think that they would just, you know, get them on the way to their parking lot or whatever. I don't think they needed to go in their house and put themselves at that kind of risk to get caught. It seemed very personal to me. I think I think it's somebody that has great animus towards this family. So going back to that day in December 2017, who found the bodies and how were they discovered? It's a real estate agent. Uh, the house was for sale and a real estate agent uh, went in there. I, I've also heard that there was uh, a cleaning woman too that was sort of simultaneously there. They, their bodies were not in the house. They were They were part of the house, but down in the pool area where, you know, these people wouldn't necessarily go. Uh, So they were there for a couple of days. I find it really interesting that nobody knew they were missing or didn't come over looking for them. Because two days is a long time. I know in my own family, if if they don't know where I am for a couple hours, I mean, somebody's checking, you know. So I, I think that's interesting too. And you had said that the bodies were displayed. How did the killers pose or display the bodies? They were... They had belts around their necks that were tied to the railing of the pool, and it was a short railing. And they were sitting with the necks, you know, the belts around their necks taunt to the railing, and they were seated with their legs out front. So it was either they were either tied that way or one of them was put that way, and then the other one put himself, him or herself that way and then sat down. And, you know, use that to kind of hang themselves, if you will. And their arms were tied behind their backs, too. It's almost like a Houdini kind of thing. It's hard to imagine that they did this. But, I mean, you know, it's hard to see without seeing the photographs. I don't want to see them. But, you know, it would be helpful to see how they really looked. Uh, Interesting, Brian Greenspan, the lawyer for the family, said that somebody had put Barry's glasses right back on his head as if nothing had happened. I find that interesting because if you were hanged the way that they described, uh, it wouldn't be like like a dead hanging from above, like you're seeing, you know, somebody's being executed. Uh, this is this is a little bit harder to do. Uh, you think that maybe he would have struggled or whatever, or whatever, and maybe the glasses would have fallen off or moved a bit. 
but apparently they were right there as if they were always there. Obviously, the deaths of a couple like Barry and Honey Sherman can leave quite a big hole in the community, especially when you talk about their charitable efforts, their philanthropic work in the community. What is their legacy and how is it being carried out either by the family or Barry's company? Well, it's an excellent question because it is being carried on. And the family put up $10 million for charity, but they're, you know, not for charity, but for a reward, you know, for somebody to turn in whoever did this. But they also have stayed the same way that they always have. They support charities and causes that they believe in. This is the kids. There's three daughters and a son. And so in death, uh, Barry and Honey Sherman are still giving. And I think that's their legacy. And I think that I've said it before. I mean, I don't, you know, as people said, well, what would you do with the $10 million? And I made the comment, if I were to solve this crime and get the $10 million, I would give it to the hospital for sick children in their quest to build a new hospital here for kids. Because um, that's the kind of thing that the Shermans would do. That's where that money should go. And I, I would donate to that. I don't know if everybody would, but there is $10 million for amateur sleuths out there to take a look and see if you can crack this open. Um but I think that's their legacy. I think it's a good one. Uh, you know, I don't think of them just as murder victims. I think of them as, you know, kind of city builders and nation builders. And and I, I didn't know them well. I didn't know them at all, really. I mean, I just was at things that they were at. But I like people that put their money where their mouth is. And, you know, they did a lot of good things for a lot of people. Well, I, I know it's a case that people have been following closely across the country And we'll be watching to see if there are any developments, including an arrest, as you say, which could be coming in 2019. Joe, thanks for your time. All the best. Thank you, Dave. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from Bryce Hall in Toronto. Thanks to our guest, Joe Warmington. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.